I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. Before we get started, I want to thank my early Patreon supporters, Kat, Steve, and the Healthcare Blog. I'm super, super excited to have your support. These folks have signed up to give a few bucks to No End in Sight each month to help me get all caught up on transcripts. And if you've been enjoying the show and also have just a few dollars to spare each month, you can sign up to support me at patreon.com slash noendinsight. This week, I'm talking to Noah Fleischacker about pelvic pain and vaginismus and hymenectomies. It feels like a lot of people are talking about hymens this week because of an awful statement that the rapper T.I. made, but we won't be talking about that in this episode because we recorded long before it hit the news, fortunately. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. Okay, so hello. I like to start by asking people about their health as a kid. Like, were you healthy when you were younger? Yeah, so yeah, I I was healthy as a kid. I think the main, I had like some various skin issues. Um, I've always had lots of like unclear what they are if it's allergies I've been told I'm like allergic to my own sweat or allergic to the heat or allergic to who knows what uh never really got to any conclusion but um that I think was my main uh focus that every summer I would be in like excruciating uh pain and itchiness but other than that I really like nothing really comes to mind in terms of my health like my body and my health was just like not really uh focused or Mm -hmm. something that I thought about a lot yeah, like mystery rashes, it sounds like, basically, which would certainly be uncomfortable, but not inhibiting in the way that some other kind of body problems could be. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so then it sounds like it still stayed a bit of a mystery, which is a thing about bodies. Was there a moment when stuff started to change for you then, like as you were getting older? Um, yeah, so I, I, I don't identify or think of myself as someone who has a chronic illness. Um, I think that I have a condition that causes me pain and that I, uh, only in the last even couple of years really started to like realize or understand what that was or what that means. But I don't think of myself as someone who's sick Mm -hmm. largely because like, I'm not, I'm most of the time not sick and it doesn't impact my in most ways. Um, and really, I think when things started to change was when I was 24, so three years ago. I had been, um, I was, I'm in, was in this relationship dating this guy who I still with, and he, I um, had, well, just dive right in. He and I have been trying to have penetrative sex, and every time we would try, it was like excruciatingly painful so painful it was totally impossible and there were all these moments that had happened before I was 24 that should indicate that that would have been painful so in theory like I put something when I was 13 and trying to put in a tampon and it was like incredibly painful and and totally impossible or when I was I don't know maybe 19 and I went to a gynecologist for the first time to get a pelvic exam and she just couldn't do the exam. It was like totally impossible uh, for her to put this. You need to come back. You you need to you need to be more relaxed. You're too tense to get this exam. Like the speculum. Yeah, uh, too tense to get a speculum or to get really anything inside of me. Um, and she told me that I needed to come back once I had like started having regular penetrative sex, and that like probably it was painful because I just like wasn't used to things being inside of me. Um, okay. So really, there were all these other moments earlier on where things had been painful, but there were just reasons why I thought it was normal that it was painful. Like, yeah. oh, I just like don't know how to put in a tampon, and that's why it hurts and doesn't feel right. Or my my gynecologist telling me that uh, a pelvic exam is painful and impossible because I just hadn't been having penetrative sex. Um, so there were all these moments like that. That yeah. kind of could have indicated that something was wrong, but I don't think I really realized something was wrong until when I was 23 or 24. Right. And I think that's even interesting, like that a gynecologist wouldn't 
I guess I don't know what I would expect from them specifically, but I feel like there should be a level of awareness around this stuff that goes beyond just like, you need to relax a little bit. Like, I wonder how many people have the problem of just needing to relax compared to how many people have the problem of pelvic pain in some way, which I know can take a few different forms, to say the least, because it's also probably pretty understudied still. Um, But medicine. (laughs) Okay, so... At 24, you are now with your partner and kind of realize that this might be more of a challenge than you had originally thought. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, yeah. There was a really long period of time where I was just in denial that there was any kind of problem. And it's even interesting, like, why am I even calling it? I don't think it's really denial now that I look back on it. I think that the fact that I had gynecologists, multiple gynecologists tell me that I was just like tense or that I needed to um, just like experience penetrative sex and then I would be able to get a pelvic exam without it being painful. That made me think that like there was just something I was doing, I was doing it wrong or that I was somehow um, tight or too controlling or something, that it had something to do with my personality or with like um, the way I was as a person rather than like, oh, there is something, that isn't normal about what's going on with my body and that deserves and needs some kind of like medical care and medical treatment. Um, But because of those experiences and the experience of like my first gynecologist appointment and then thereafter, every time I would go to my primary care physician, she would say, you know, you need to get a pap smear, you need to get a pelvic exam. And I always felt like the conversation was about like, I'm doing things wrong. Like I'm purposely avoiding the pap smear. I'm purposely avoiding the pelvic exam as if it's something that like, yeah, that I'm just not doing it right rather than it being about, um, well, maybe there's a reason that you're experiencing this kind of pain and we should, that re- we should look into what the underlying cause of the pain is instead of like, well, vaginas are supposed to hurt. So that's why you hurt, which yeah. um, now I'm able to look back and see that, but I don't think I realized that for a long time. Yeah. And I think that's such like that vaginas are supposed to hurt is such a strong message in the culture, like across things. Because I think about that a lot, like with sexuality, too, is like we kind of learned like sex should definitely hurt the first time or maybe not should, but like is going to expect sex to hurt the first time if you are the one being penetrated I don't know how to say that without it (laughs) being extra graphic but like right and as it turns out that might not actually be true for everybody but if everyone goes in with that expectation then if it's really painful you're gonna think it's normal and like people talk about it that way I think and it turns out like that's not the universal experience at all but like you're saying like how could you have possibly known that at the time even like I think you talk about this in your podcast a little, but I'm going to ask, like, so you say it was, you were at 24. So in the time in between, as I'm sure some of your friends are becoming sexually active, do you feel like you were having conversations with them that gave you new insight? Or were you just like, well, they probably have already gotten over that hump or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? Like where we even get information about this stuff? Yeah, I think that I... um well, first of all, I think I carried like so much shame around the fact that I wasn't having penetrative sex. Like I went to Oberlin College, which is a very progressive and sex pot. Like there's a lot of like sex positive culture on campus in some ways, um, and it just didn't make sense. And I think because of that, I wasn't. I was having a lot of conversations with with people and like very open conversations with people, but I wasn't. None of those conversations and. I, First of all, I wasn't at a point where I had yet realized that maybe something was actually wrong. I still was like, I'm just tense and whatever. Um, And there still wasn't anyone who was talking about vaginal pain. Like that wasn't a, there was an open conversation about, uh, I don't know, all sorts of other things, pleasure, uh, like like questioning questioning, um, heteronormative sex. Like, I don't know, there were all sorts of conversations, but there was about like, chronic vaginal pain or conditions that could cause you to have vaginal pelvic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually one specific instance that I remember is I took at Oberlin, there are courses taught by other students um, that you can take as kind of like a mini credit course. And 
class called Sexco. That was kind of like a sex ed for college students taught by other college students. Um, and I took that class because that was kind of like a um, um, everyone, you just have to take that class. Like, you don't have to, but uh, over, I just felt like everyone took that class. Yeah. So I took in the class, they, they gave us each at the end a speculum as a gift, like a plastic speculum. Okay. And I mean, they, I guess they only gave the speculum to people who had vaginas. But, but sure. um, I went home and was so excited about having this speculum. <laughs> yeah. Because you could, they were like, here, you can like, see your cervix if you use the speculum and look in a mirror and it was supposed to be this like really exciting thing that you could actually do your own pelvic exam and I took the speculum and the speculum sat wrapped in its plastic wrap on the desk next to my bed until the day I graduated from Oberlin because I wanted so to use speculum but I it felt like a rite of passage right like how am I going to graduate from Oberlin without seeing my cervix using my own speculum like that's what you're supposed to do yeah yeah um but I couldn't because that would be insanely painful um or just incredibly painful and so but yeah so I just remember I anyway the reason I'm talking about that is because I think that the speculum sitting on the desk to me uh symbolizes the just so much that I felt around like not being able to do these things that were what everyone else seems to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, I think I didn't have very many conversations with people. Mm-hmm. And then I did start having conversations with people when I was 23, 24. And my boyfriend and I were like trying to have penetrative sex in a game, kind of this weird science project where we would like, it, we were constant. It was just like, this has got to work. There's got to be a way to make this work. And when that happened, I started, talking to a very small handful of friends and none of them had any idea what was wrong because they were just like I've literally never heard of this happening to someone not in a judgmental way they were just like you use blue like you know what you're doing like yeah. they, they weren't trying to be mean or judgmental but they like didn't have any idea what to tell me yeah like there was no framework for this being an obstacle I feel like I also went to, I went to a really similar college to Oberlin. I went to, it's called Grinnell in Iowa, Mm -hmm. but it's like also a small liberal arts college that has a very aggressively sex positive culture. And um, so I I relate to a lot of what you're saying. And I have, so I have like some nerve problems and that impacts my ability to orgasm. And I feel like I, when I was going through college, like my experience felt really similar is like all of the information out there about this problem was like about how I was in my own head or I just needed to learn how to relax more or like let go of shame and I was like none of these problems are my problem but no one at this up until this point like I've never been exposed to another explanation so I'm like working in this framework where I assume I just need to like try even harder on the three methods that I've exposed to been exposed to or like within Grinnell like go to another female masturbation workshop or like whatever it is like this stuff is happening right and if everyone in that space isn't exposed to like the challenge that you have it's not even mentioned and you're like okay well I must just have a really severe case of whatever whatever problems people do acknowledge are happening or something like that like it's confusing to live in a world where you're like I don't see my experience represented anywhere and I don't even have like language or ways to frame it or whatever, wherever that is. Right. Right. And I think what you said is really right where the only, the only representation of vaginal pain and pain with penetrative sex that I had ever seen was the classic story of when you first have penetrative sex, it hurts. That was like the story that I had heard. And that was the only representation I'd ever seen. And so for a while, I just thought like, well, it just hasn't been long enough. You know, if we just, if we trying enough time, then the pain will go away. Cause that was like the narrative that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when, when like a month turned into six months, turned into a year of that. And I never really heard a narrative of someone say, I tried to have penetrated the first time for a year and it was, and it hurt for a year. Like that started, that started to be like uh, a moment where I was like, hmm, like this doesn't fit into any of the narratives that I've heard. And this doesn't, um, 
like something's wrong something seems wrong yeah and, and my partner was also kind of like hmm, like what what is this yeah like something different is happening yeah it's not just what I, like I also feel like because the narrative of it starting with pain is also around like the hymen and virginity which are right also deeply misrepresented but like it's easy to be like okay yeah it's supposed to hurt and then I just like bear with it and then maybe even 30 seconds later that will go away and it will all feel great like I see that representation all the time of someone's like early experiences with penetrative sex and right that's not happening and there's no explanation right at least at first in what you know about it right yeah right right culture that's also was a very scary idea the idea that something that it would not change yeah that like there's something wrong because I had no idea what that meant like I remember hitting a point where every time um my partner and I would try to have penetrative sex I would just like burst into tears and be like what's wrong with me in this very dramatic way yeah and I think I I was just like I don't know what that like what does that mean um Mm -hmm. because I'd never heard a story like that before yeah and so did you get to a point where you yeah like went back to a doctor or did you start doing different research how did that start to take shape for you yeah so about a year later I had I had an appointment with my primary care physician for a regular checkup and I also had an appointment with I had made an appointment with my gynecologist for the first in years and the last time I had gone to my gynecologist she had said that when I come back, I should take uh, sedation because that would make me calmer and more relaxed. And at that point, I still kind of thought that would work. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, I'm finally going to go back to the gynecologist. I'm going to sedate myself. I'm finally going to get a pelvic exam and a pap smear, and then I'm going to figure out what's wrong. And it just happened that right before I was about to have these two appointments, um, I I lived in a home in a house with like a group of other um, really wonderful women, and I was standing in the kitchen one night cooking dinner with a friend of mine, Hannah, and she just totally randomly I don't even know how we got in the subject. She started talking about a friend of hers who who was married and who had never been able to have penetrative sex, and who couldn't use tampons, and she said that her friend had vaginismus, and the way she was describing her friend, just it hadn't occurred to me that the fact that I couldn't use tampons, couldn't get a pelvic exam, couldn't have penetrative sex, all the same thing, as strange as that sounds now, because like obviously it's all part of the same thing. But mm-hmm. um, but hearing her say that and then hearing her say the word vaginismus, um, for me, was both like this incredibly uh, powerful moment of wow, maybe there's actually a diagnosis and a name for what I have. And I was set into a complete panic because I had just never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And so that experience of hearing that story and then about being about to like go to these doctor's appointments for me um, was, yeah, was like a kind of like the turning point where mm-hmm. I started to seek diagnosis. So I went to my primary care physician and I had, for the most part, a regular checkup, um, and then at the end, I told her what had been going on. I said that uh, my partner and I, like, physically couldn't have penetrative sex, and she just looked confused. Like, she didn't really have anything to say to me. She was just kind of like, does he know what he's doing? Um, as if this was because he, like, doesn't know yeah. how to do it. Yeah. Um, and then she was just kind of like, okay, well, you need to get a pap smear and a pelvic exam. Like, she didn't really have any ideas for me. I, I brought up the word vaginismus because now I knew that that was a thing. And she kind of brushed it off. She didn't really know what to tell me. Um, and then a couple of days later, I went to see my gynecologist. And I got to the point, someone had to drive me to the appointment because I had taken uh, sedation pills. Right. Got to the appointment. And I was feeling like pretty relaxed and kind of woozy and happy. Um, and I went to the appointment also kind of thinking it would be really easy. Like we solved it. I'm now really relaxed. Everything's going to work out. Mm-hmm. And I like sat down on the examination table and she did what she like usually does, tries to 
put in a speculum and I just immediately like shrieked and jerked back in pain. And it was just the thing it had always been. It didn't make a difference. And at first she was kind of like, maybe you should have taken more sedatives. Like maybe you should go wait in the waiting room and take like sedate yourself more. Mm -hmm. Um, And then she kept trying and eventually she was like, this is not good for you to continue. This is like traumatizing to continue to try to accompany you in the way that causes a lot of pain. She told me that I needed to um, get a pelvic exam and pap smear done under anesthesia at a hospital. Okay. Um, she didn't really have any answers to anything else. Right. And did you ask her about, say, vaginismus specifically? Like, using that word, did that get you any new information or anything helpful with this doctor? I honestly don't remember if I asked her. I, it was so clear that the appointment was about me getting a pap smear. And right. I think looking back on it, that was what was so problematic about the way this whole process went, is that the problem was that I was like a non-compliant patient. Like I was a patient who couldn't get a pap smear and it on my chart, like eight years overdue pap smear. Right. And that was the problem. Like the problem wasn't that like tampons caused me excruciating pain or that I tried to get a pap smear many times. Like those were not seen as problems or that's how I felt. Those weren't seen as problems by my doctor or by my gynecologist. The problem was that I like wasn't doing what the chart said I was supposed to do yeah. and that we needed to figure out how to, how to get the like back next to pap smear on my chart. Yeah. Like cervical um, cancer screening. So I don't even know if we had a conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear what you're saying and 100% believe that you could have a bunch of doctors who are so focused on like whatever their checklist is that they're not going to be otherwise helpful. Ugh, that would also be super frustrating, obviously. Um, okay. So you have a word. You have now run into two doctors who don't seem to like almost be in the same paradigm as you where you're like, yeah, maybe a pap smear is important, but also it feels like a bigger problem that like I'm in excruciating pain every time I'm like working with anything kind of. Yeah. So what did you learn next or what did you even experiment with next? Whatever feels like the right question. Yeah. Well, also I think, um, was that no one was asking the question of like well why does this cause you pain like even with the pap smear it was kind of what can we do to get you a successful pap smear rather than why is this causing you this amount of pain Mm -hmm. um and so after that i went and saw a pelvic health specialist um and she she was the first person who i felt like gave me a list of kind of possibilities that something, first of all, she thought there was something wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. She thought potentially there was a septum, which is like an anatomical issue where you have like growth inside of you. Um, Not a growth, really, like a wall. Um, She she felt like I needed to get a pelvic exam in order to figure out if there was an, to rule out anatomical issues Mm -hmm. and then um, come back to her. Mm -hmm. And, I, my first appointment with her was really positive because it was the time I had met a doctor who specialized in different conditions that cause vulvar and vaginal pain, and um, it felt like she understood that there was an actual issue um, mm-hmm. and wasn't just saying, like, sedate yourself, and if you're more relaxed, you'll be fine. So um, I did end up going under anesthesia, going to the hospital. And I was just going to say, and are they also, like, under OBGYN as a specialty? A, pel- a pelvic specialist? That's a good question. I think she's considered a gynecologist and a specialist, but I'm not really sure. Yeah, that's okay. Just wondering, like, where do you find a person like this if yeah. it's a problem that you have? Yeah, so I think she was considered my gynecologist, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. The only reason I ended up seeing this woman is because I heard my gynecologist that I needed to go under anesthesia, and I asked if she had a recommendation mm-hmm. for someone else I could see. Um and this is the person who she recommended I see. Gotcha. So, yeah, so I, I go to the hospital, I go under anesthesia, um, and the day at the hospital to get a pelvic exam and a pap smear, and I sign a release form that in the scenario where they find some, like, abnormal septum, they remove that I'm going to have surgery in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I wake up like not knowing whether or not I got surgery and 
basically what ended up happening after that is that I I called I called my gynecologist to get the results and to find out what happened. And she was like, we did a successful pap smear. We did a successful pelvic exam. We didn't find anything. And you're done. And I was like, what do you mean I'm done? Like, I'm at a hospital. I'm just waking up. <laughs> like, yeah. This is not true to go through to get what is supposed to be a yearly checkup. Um, and she was kind of like, you're done. You had a pap smear. Like, now it says on your chart you had a pap smear. Um, and so that was that. Like, she was kind of. Congratulations. Problem solved. Yeah. That was her attitude. Like, great. All solved. Um, and she didn't have any suggestions for me. And so the pelvic health specialist and told her that they didn't find anything abnormal. And um, she, she referred me to a pelvic floor physical therapist. I don't remember if my, um, at this point she gave me a diagnosis. She might have given me a diagnosis. I've like looked at various points have been diagnosed with different things. And I'm not entirely sure when I got those diagnoses, like on my chart, it says that I have at this point, it says I have vaginismus. It says I have vulvodynia. It says I have pelvic chronic pelvic pain. It says I have dyspareunia, which just means pain with penetrative sex. Mm -hmm. It says all these different words, but I don't actually know at what point or who I'm pretty sure it was the pelvic health specialist who put these words there, but I'm not actually sure at what point um, any of them were like, this is what you have. Yeah. And, and those are all like pretty descriptive yeah. as terms rather than, say, explanatory. So having like four different ways that describe different kinds of pelvic pain is different than if they had, say, found, like you said, they looked for a septum. Like if they had found an explanation, that would be a different kind of diagnosis than these like really descriptive terms that say you have a problem and we don't know why. Right. Right. And also, and some of these terms like dyspareunia is not... Ac- it's not a diagnosis. Dyspareunia means penetrative sex. There's like hundreds of conditions that can cause pain with penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so also some of those terms are not diagnoses. They're just like descriptors of the symptoms. Yeah. And so, okay. So then you go to, you said basically PT is next. Yeah. So then I started uh, public floor physical therapy once a week. And public floor physical therapy is basically um how to describe it it's such a it's such a unique and intimate and strange experience um i had no idea this field existed until i started um going to see this public physical therapist a lot of it was like her working on my muscles like she would kind of um press along my thighs and abdomen and then ultimately also like in work internally um like along the vaginal walls on my on my vaginal muscles um and it's supposed to both help you help bring uh an awareness to like when you're tensing and releasing certain muscles and also to help stretch um stretch strengthen and like release the muscles and and then i would at home do a number of different exercises and also I began working uh, they kind of look like dildos they increase in size starting at a very small size and the point is to try to um, insert them to stretch the inner inner vaginal muscles yeah so I started that and did that for about four or five months okay and those are is that called dilators you might have just said that but like the tool the dildo, growing dildo-like tool is a dilator. Yeah, yeah, dilator. Yeah. Yeah. But they're sold as, like, medical tools, and they're not useless. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, I have definitely heard of them before. Okay, yeah. And so how was that whole experience? Ugh, it was a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it was, in some ways, it was a really amazing experience. Like, I understand my pelvic floor and the muscles and how to release my pelvic floor in ways I didn't understand beforehand. And like, I've learned a lot about my body from doing uh, pelvic floor physical therapy. And to some extent I did, I did start to make like up until that point, nothing had ever gone inside of me basically. And using the small dilators, I was able to like release my muscles and insert the small dilator mm-hmm. um, and did make some progress through, through the pelvic floor physical therapy. At the same time, I felt wasn't clear how 
um, what, how and whether I was making progress in a way that was actually useful and was progress. So for example, um, it often felt that my, it often felt like my pelvic floor physical therapist would give me advice that was just based on what had worked worked for one other patient rather than based on any kind of bulk of research. Like you do X, Y, and Z, and, and here's the process you go through in public floor physical, and then you should see X, Y, Z results. Like at one point, I remember um, really struggling with the the pain one of the dilators causing me, and my pelvic floor physical therapist told me I just needed to dilate with my leg in a certain position, and I tried that, and it just wouldn't work. And then she said, oh, well, it worked for one of my other patients. Like she was just, it, and, and I think she was doing, in a lot of ways she was doing what she was trained to do, but this isn't a whole lot of standard care in pelvic floor physical therapy. And the way that it, it felt kind of like she's just trying things based on what had worked for other patients. And when it wasn't working, there wasn't a whole lot to go back on or to explain why it wasn't working. Yeah. Um, and in the meantime, I was both in a back and forth with my insurance company that was refusing to cover any of my pelvic floor physical therapy because they were saying they only cover physical therapy for basically every other part of the body. I had one other, I had a conversation at one point where with an insurance agent who uh, said, oh, we only cover your neck, shoulders, arms, back, legs, um, and just started listing like every part of the body except the pelvis. Um, And my insurance company kept telling me to go to other physical therapy uh, offices, but none of those offices provide pelvic floor physical therapy since it's very specialized. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was paying like a huge amount of money for pelvic floor physical therapy. It wasn't clear that it was helping and the information I was getting about how much it was supposed to help was, it felt like based on anecdotes from previous patients. Yeah. And with that, like, do you get the sense that there has been much research into kind of any side of it, either what might cause different people to experience vaginismus or into like treatment protocols, just because you're talking about so much of it being anecdotal. So does it feel like any of this has been broadly studied or does it feel like it's been a lot of this seems like it might work. So let's keep doing it and then kind of improvise as we go. Right. I think, I mean, pelvic floor physical therapy is definitely helpful for people. I found it helpful to a point, and mm-hmm. I think I would 100% recommend it to people. It's helpful for women who are about to give birth or after they give birth. It's helpful for people who have chronic pain. I do know people who have gotten past their, like, their chronic vaginal pain and chronic pelvic floor pain from physical therapy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, at least my sense, and I'm not a medical professional, but my sense is that there is standardization of care for pelvic floor physical therapy. There's not a whole lot of research in terms of all of the different treatments that are available for and vaginal pain. Like there are very few clinical trials, and the clinical trials that have been done, um, many. My understanding is that many of them, the placebo, is not much better than the um, medication, and that there's just such little research on this that it's very. A lot, like at one point I was offered medication that I was told had a 50-50% of working. Like it wasn't, and I do know people who have been cured, but it feels like you really have to get, uh, you have to get the, you have to get a, a specialized doctor who can give you a correct diagnosis. Cause even though there are a lot of treatments that work, they're often treatments for different diagnoses. Like, mm-hmm. um, like for the underlying cause, there's not a lot of information information or education of gynecologists yeah of like what the underlying cause is so even if there is research and there are treatments that work um people are often prescribed with treatments that are not the right treatment for what's causing their actual pain Mm -hmm. okay and that makes it's awful but makes sense because while while i was in physical therapy i was also trying all these different medications yeah it's like it makes sense that there could be a few different explanations and so different treatments would work but like if that's not being well represented and it presents the same I think this this happens with other stuff but especially in something that like I know it's like a gynecological problem and we know that gynecological problems are generally speaking underfunded underfunded and others understudied wow I don't know why I had so much trouble with both of those words um and I also something that really like stands out to me about what you just said about like 
wondering kind of what what does success look like? I know those aren't your exact words, but like you kind of got to a point where you felt like some of it had helped, but you couldn't really evaluate anymore. Um, and I feel like that's a feature of something like this. It's like, okay, well, what are our goals? Or like, what are your goals in this case? It's like, is your goal to be able to use a tampon because it's practical? Or is your goal to be able to get a pelvic exam? Like if uh, pap smears are recommended, say, every three years, is your goal to be able to do that? In which case you're working really hard constantly for that to happen. And like, or is your goal to be able to tolerate penetrative sex compared to being able to enjoy penetrative sex? Because I think those are really different things. And like, if it's being medicalized in a way that's like, you should be able to tolerate penetrative sex, like, is that better? I don't know. It, it opens up a lot of questions for me about like what we think is important in having a body and like what a vagina is for. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think also, I think for me for a while, I mean, this is still true, but I think really a goal was I just want to know what's causing this pain. Like, I want to understand why this is happening. And one of the things that was really frustrating is I often felt that in conversations with um, doctors and with physical therapists that they were very focused on, okay, here's, try a new, while I was in physical therapy, I was also trying all these different medications. Um, pain medications, um, medication for muscle, muscle relaxants, like all these various medications, none of which helped. And I often felt that the conversation was about treating the symptoms and kind of trial and error with treating the symptoms without any real conversation about, can we get to the bottom of this and identify what's causing it, both in order to treat it correctly and also so that I could have some answers to why this was happening. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting question, like what does success look like? Because for a while it felt like I just need to know what's causing this, which still feels true. And um, I didn't think that was a question that the doctors that I saw were really asking. Mm-hmm. But it also was a strange, I mean, for me, what, and part of why I said at the beginning, I, you know, I don't have illness is because I can choose to basically never be in pain. Like I'm not, I don't have, an, and many people who have vulvodynia also are in pain on their daily, on a, on a daily basis. Like right. uh, cr- chronic vulvar pain can be provoked where something, if something new are going into you, that can cause pain, but also could be unprovoked where you're just in spontaneous pain at random points throughout the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not true for me. And so I'm, essentially never in pain unless I'm choosing to do something that I, or deciding to do something that I know is going to cause me. Um, and I, it's interesting because once I started talking to people, because after I started physical therapy and seeing all these doctors, I started talking about it way more than I had been before. Um, and I realized that a lot of the response was kind of like, Oh my gosh, this must be, you know, that's terrible. This is affecting you. Like, like, how are you in a relationship? How are you having sex? Like, all these kind of things. And definitely at first it felt that way, but for a lot of the time it felt kind of like the things that are causing me pain are like getting a pelvic exam and going to physical therapy and uh, trying to have penetrative sex and all those things that are things that I don't really feel like I need to do necessarily, which mm-hmm. is not to say that you shouldn't treat it, but I think I felt very conflicted and still feel very conflicted. Like, is success, could, I could make a choice that I don't want to treat this and just almost never have to do any of the things that cause me pain. Um, or when I make a choice that I do want to treat it, then I'm often putting myself in a lot of pain. Right. Um, so definitely feel complicated about that. Yeah. And I can imagine, I feel like another thing that's in the culture is like, there's definitely a cultural obsession with penetrative sex being the only thing that counts as sex. Like, on an individual basis, I'm sure lots of people have different perspectives about it, but I think that message is out there. And so if penetrative sex is even not enjoyable, let alone if it's painful, it's like there's this message because I feel like one way that I would hear it, even if this isn't what, what your friends meant or what you heard, it's just like if you're in a straight relationship and you as the woman like don't enjoy penetrative sex or find it painful, like 
your partner is somehow giving something up or like only getting part of a relationship. And I feel like that's a really specific perspective that actually doesn't have to be true. Like, I guess if you're trying to conceive, that's one thing. But if the goal is to just like have a nice time together, that's actually not it's really easy to have a nice time together without that being what happens. I'm into some really annoying euphemisms right now, but no, definitely. But like, there's this thing in the culture that would, that even like for me with my own experiences, it causes stress. Yeah, definitely. And I think that because I have a condition that only causes pain with penetration, um, there's many other things you can do to have like a healthy and enjoyable sex life. And I don't actually see a huge problem with my sex life. And if I weren't dating someone with a penis, maybe it would not even be an issue at all. But like um, the way that we think and talk about these things culturally and socially, it's like, how could you be dating like someone with a penis and not having penetrated sex like something must be wrong with your sex life or something must be wrong wrong with your relationship yeah um and like they must be unsatisfied with you right 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 yeah it's just out there so yeah i think that's definitely a. um and so now are we kind of caught up to the present in terms of just like what you've been trying and learning about it uh, not really. I've seen like six or seven more doctors. Basically, okay. I um, the short ver the short version is I went to pelvic floor physical therapy for four or five months. Then I um, switched to new pelvic floor physical therapist to see if she could do anything that was different. It at the beginning it did seem like she was doing things that I mean she was doing things that were different and it was helpful. Um, and like both of my physical therapists, I really appreciate and. Think they helped me a lot, um, and I was making some progress with the dilators in terms of going up sizes. And I also, with my second physical therapist, was able to identify that potentially one of the things that was causing my pain, and this is still unclear, is that I a, a normal state for me is clenching my pelvic floor muscles. Like I go through the day and when I'm stressed or even when I'm focused or when I'm um, in the middle of something, I clench my pelvic floor muscles and I hadn't realized that and realizing that and understanding how to, and understanding how to like bring attention to the fact that I was doing that. It didn't end up um, like solving anything necessarily, but that was a really helpful understanding and potentially like led to some cause. It's, that's not totally clear, but like that, that, um, uh, that clenching my muscles, like maybe has a lot, like created a situation where I have pelvic floor dysfunction. So anyway, so I saw pelvic floor physical therapist. I tried more medication and then I went and saw another public health specialist, another gynecologist to try to get a new diagnosis. Um, one of them diagnosed me with vulvodynia, uh, another one had me go, go get an ultrasound and, and then, yeah, basically I hit a certain point or about 10 months of medication and physical therapy where it just didn't seem like any of these things were helping enough. I was just emotionally exhausted and I took a break, um, and I took a break for like half of a year. Uh, I stopped dilating. I stopped doing most, I stopped taking any of the medication. Um, and then I went and saw a specialist who her focus is on vulvar and vaginal, like, I don't know if she would call vulvar and vaginal pain disorders or um, I don't know what she would call it. But anyway, basically all day long she sees people whose vaginas hurt, like that's what she does. Um, and she, seeing her was the first time I saw someone who sat down and explained to me all the different potential causes. She, she literally drew a diagram of here are all the different that could cause you to be in pain. It could be an issue with, um, with your muscles. Like it might be that you have, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction, muscle dysfunction. Um, it could be a uh, neuro 
proliferation, like when you have too many uh, nerve receptors. I don't really understand all <laughs> these words. But if when you have too many nerves, basically, in your vulvar area, um, it could be because of birth control. If you're on birth control for too, for too long, it can disrupt your hormone imbalance and lead the like, vaginal wall to thin out. It's like actually drew a diagram for me and mapped out all of these different possible conditions. Um, and one of the conditions is your hymen, actually. And then she did an exam that was really different from any other exam that I'd had. This exam is called a Q-tip test, and it's where you take a Q-tip, and if you imagine like the opening of the vagina like a clock, it's like you press the different uh, numbers on the clock and try to identify where the pain is. And that mm -hmm. was the first time anyone had ever done that. If anything, they had just kind of like put a the beginning of their finger in me and been like, okay, you're in pain. Yeah. Like, diagnosis is pain. And um, she was like, we need to identify where the pain is. Like if the pain is over here, that's a different condition than if the pain is over here. Um, and she, when she got to six o'clock, like the bottom point, I like couldn't breathe. I was in so much pain. I just burst, like burst into tears. And she was like, this is where it hurts the most. Right. And it's, and as soon as she said that, she was like, I know what it is. Um, and her diagnosis is that I have, I also have muscle dysfunction and I maybe also have vaginism, like I maybe also have other conditions, but that one of the leading causes is that I have an overly thick, rigid hymen um, and that that is causing all of these other issues. So that's my latest diagnosis, which... I don't even want to say that that's the diagnosis because every time I get a diagnosis, then the next person discounts that diagnosis. So who knows? Um, but that's my diagnosis, and I'm actually getting a hymenectomy surgery this week. Oh wow! In a couple of days. Um, so that's my that's my yeah yeah that's my uh, that's where I am on the timeline. Yeah, and that's that's super interesting because like. I mentioned hymens earlier as a thing of like, not everybody is affected by it at all. And so like, even just that we're taught that like, everybody has a hymen and then like, you will still have it. And that's what losing your virginity is about, is about your hymen being broken. Like, I feel like it's something that is very poorly understood by people who may in fact have one. And so that you would get to a point where you're like, okay, well, based on everything that I know about hymens, which is very little, it should have been broken by now I guess or like it wouldn't be a part of this right and so that's interesting that they'd be like here specifically like one checking where the pain actually is which seems very obvious when you say it um and using that as an interpretation so and that they have a procedure that could help with that hopefully I hear what you're saying also like it's one more path to go down and hopefully it's a helpful one but it's definitely new and more specific information, which is always satisfying. Right, right. And then have you, so now, have you gone into any, like, research wormholes around learning that specifically? Like, other people who have had that more specific diagnosis or what, how they'd been in, impacted by treatment, say, leading up to a surgery or choosing to get a surgery? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people who have had hymenectomies, all for various different reasons. Like, I also feel pretty confused. I thought I understood it. I feel like <laughs> this gets more and more confusing. Um, but there's all apparently there's all sorts of things that can go wrong with your hymen. It could be um, it could cover more of like the vaginal opening. My my diagnosis is that it's like uh, abnormally thick and rigid and doesn't stretch the way it's supposed to. Um, there's a, a lot of things that can happen with your hymen. Um, I actually talked to so many people who have had hymenectomies, people who had hymenectomies when they were teenagers um, or younger, and people who had hymenectomies more recently. And I think similar to my experience with uh, vaginismus and vulvodynia and pelvic floor dysfunction, all conditions that I may or may not have, uh, the more I've talked about it, the more I've realized that it like almost everyone I know has one of these conditions. I mean, that's obviously an exaggeration, but I did sit down the other day and like make a list of everyone I personally, not like people who I've met because of this, but people who I personally know who are friends of family or childhood friends or coworkers or what have you. Um, and the list was like 
30-something people who have one of those conditions, and that's just a close community, um, not even the like broader circles of people who have written to me who are like strangers from the internet. And so I think I don't, I don't have a sense of, I, and actually my sense is that having a thick and rigid hymen is not as common. I don't think that particular diagnosis is as common, but definitely having chronic bad pain, chronic pain, pelvic floor dysfunction is extremely common. Um, the latest numbers I've heard is that it's somewhere between 16 to 28% of American uh, women who have those conditions. So, yeah. 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 I believe that it would be, yeah, like very high because I still, I think it's like super common in the culture if you don't go out looking for it to think that sex is supposed to be uncomfortable or like at a minimum that it's not supposed to be as enjoyable for women. And so not that like I personally believe that and I think or hope that most people I know personally don't believe that, but I feel like that message is definitely out there and you like see it over and over again. And so I even just wonder how many people never seek medical care and like get stuck in that place of thinking that it's just a problem with them somehow or that it's a mental problem of not being able to relax or get turned on or whatever it is rather than kind of wondering if there might be a physiological explanation for what's going on it's interesting and frustrating (laughs) yeah right right and and so the the kind of go-through to look internal self and say, okay, what am I doing wrong? What did I, what did I not do right? This is something that I'm somehow totally in control of and causing. And even if with many of these conditions, there is a mental health component. And, you know, for me, it's possible that even if I have an abnormal hymen, I also, uh, like the way that my body experiences anxiety manifests in my pelvic floor. And that like, that is somehow re- like those things are related to each other. But that doesn't mean that I'm like causing myself to be in pain and therefore can cause myself just like change my mindset and then I'm not in pain. And I think that um, one of the things that has been the most striking of starting to talk more about this is realizing how many people, both how many people I know who have these conditions, but also how many people I know who previously weren't even seeking out medical treatment or weren't seeking any kind of diagnosis or treatment because they were blaming themselves and because they had this narrative that was like, well, you know, if I just have a better attitude or if I just get better at whatever it is I need to get better at, then like I won't be in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a huge, actually in about a month ago, uh, I ho- hosted and facilitated this workshop in Chicago for people with chronic vaginal and vulvar pain. And one of the things we talked a lot about was we like wrote our own kind of narratives and stories and timelines about things that we've experienced around these conditions and room kind of looked at each other and realized like this entire narrative places blame on myself. What would it look like if I did it? If I like look, took another look at this narrative was like, wait, this is not my fault that my vagina hurts. Like that actually doesn't make sense. And there could be a real condition that's causing it just the way that like, if your wrist hurt for a decade, you wouldn't be like, well, if I just change my attitude, then my wrist wouldn't hurt or something. And I, weirdly, I have been going through that with my neck of all places, is that like, I've had tension in all of my neck muscles for my whole life. And like, I got an x-ray when I was, I think under 10, because I was complaining about chronic neck pain so often, and the x-ray didn't show anything. And so literally until this year. So for like 20 years of my life, I've been like, oh, I just hold all of my tension in my neck. This is just where all my stress is. And then I just had an MRI like two months ago and I have um, like structural damage to my spine. I have stenosis and I have two bulging discs in my neck. And I'm just like, oh, this is a really weird experience to have this story that you've been telling yourself that you haven't been doing enough. Like I haven't been I don't know, de-stressing enough or relaxing enough or getting enough massages. Like I haven't been taking, doing enough self-care to solve a problem, but it turns out this problem has been physiological the whole time. It's like, it's amazing, I think, how much we can do that. It's very relatable to me as a concept. Ugh, and it's been weird, definitely weird. And that's for something that isn't involved. Yeah, totally. Like come up with these interpretations. Yeah. Yeah. Just like make up a story. Right. And like, and like, I think I have cycled through 
Right. And like, I think I've cycled through many different interpretations and stories of why I'm in pain. And because you want to have some kind of explanation and it, and without any, and without any concrete answers from medical professional scene who can say to me, here's what I guess causing your pain. Although I think now I would like to say, like, I know that part, at least part of what's causing my pain is my hymen, but, but you know, it could be other things as well. Um, but I feel like absent of having any real explanation of why I'm in pain, I've gone through so many different stories and narratives about what's causing the pain. And I think that like on one hand, those interpretations can be can be useful and like can help make sense of things. But on the other hand, like I feel like that um talking to other people and realizing the way that people have these stories about themselves. That's like, well, it's really all because I'm an uptight person and that's why I'm in pain. Or like, well, maybe it's because I'm just not a person who like wants to be in an intimate relationship, which like, sure, maybe those things are true, but like that doesn't necessarily provide a full explanation of what the pain is. And it definitely doesn't explain like, what you can do to, to treat it. Um, so anyway, yeah, I feel like that is so validating to see on an MRI, like, oh, here are the things and this is why, which is like, not everything necessarily has an MRI to explain what it is, but like, even just knowing that there is, can be some kind of physiological cause, even if the cause is like, you have, you have anxiety. And if you took anxiety medication, you wouldn't be in pain. That's also like a reason mm-hmm. that isn't like, it's just in your head. And it's just something you're essentially like in your head, meaning not that it's like a mental health issue, but in your head, meaning it's something that like you have full control over. Like it's a choice that you're imagining making. or making up. Yeah. Cause like, and I would think one thing, especially with this, is like it can be compounding because from like say however old you are the first time that you go to the gynecologist and the first time that you realize or maybe with tampons like either with tampons or with a speculum that you're like this is very painful for me and that will also start a cycle of anxiety and stress around it but having that compounding the issue isn't the same as that being the sole cause of the issue which also like yeah maybe for some people it is more related to anxiety than it's related to anything else and that's completely legitimate as well but like i can just see how easily these things could compound based on the pressure put on you to just get over it which is like feels like a big theme in a lot of things around yeah pelvic pain right right yeah um and then i would also love quickly kind of before we get before we wrap up i would love to hear about so you decided to make a podcast about it also how was that experience of like putting it out into the world and hearing from people, strangers on the internet you mentioned, like how's that been or what went into that? Yeah, yeah. So um, my friend Hannah, who I mentioned before as the person who offhandedly told the story about, about her friend who had vaginismus, um, and that's kind of how I realized that there could be a name and a diagnosis, even whether or not that is my name and diagnosis. Uh, um, she and I made this podcast together, which is called Tight Lift. Um, and really a lot of the beginning process definitely felt very scary, like that somehow this thing that I basically didn't tell anyone about, I mean, I really didn't tell, I really, really didn't talk about it. Like, it's funny to think about now because now I feel like I have the word vagina, like plastered on my face and everywhere I go, like all people talk to me about is like their vaginas hurting um and that's all I I like, can't really come up with any other topics anymore it's like the only topic um but that was not true uh until like a year and a half ago and it really was like this huge secret that I didn't tell anyone and I think this secret kind of unraveled and the shame and stigma I felt around it unraveled when I started going through the process of seeking a diagnosis and seeking treatment and both getting some validation in the fact that there is something wrong, there's something wrong that I can figure out how to treat and getting frustrated that the treatments I was trying and the people who I was looking to for help were not enough um, and were not providing the answers that I was looking for. Um, And because of that, I started talking more to first to close friends and then 
um, the friends of friends. And every single time I would talk to someone, it would turn out that they knew someone else who had this condition. Like everyone had their one friend who, whose vagina hurt, or they thought they only had one friend whose vagina hurt. Right. Um, and so I just kept getting connected to these people, and I would have phone calls with strangers. Now it turns out everyone has more than one friend. But, uh, yeah, so I would, I would talk to strangers on the phone and hear their stories and talk about my own experience. And I think that is what allowed me to be able to start to be more public and to um, ultimately decide I was going to talk about that much more public format on the podcast. Um, and once the first episode came out, the, the response was just amazing. I mean, it's just unbelievable how many people like literally think they're the only person who has one of these conditions. And that was me for so long. I can totally relate to the feeling of like, I'm the only person in the world who can't have penetrative sex, or I must be the only person in the world who like can't put anything in their vagina without experiencing excruciating pain. Like, I think that is the experience of so many people who um, wrote, wrote to me after listening to it, um, told me that they now decided to tell their friend, tell their mom, or um, just the experience of realizing that this is like, just another condition but I mean first of all these are just other conditions the way that people have all sorts of crime pain conditions um or conditions that you know whatever that like something doesn't quite work right in your body rather than like this is some huge secret thing that like you can't tell anyone and that and that like you're at fault for so yeah it was that's been really amazing. And the goal of the podcast is to like really start that public conversation. Like to, we are focusing on conditions like vaginismus, vulvodynia, um, pelvic floor dysfunction that cause chronic vaginal and pelvic pain and that are often not talked about, but are actually really, really common um, and aiming to like shed some light on these conditions and to start a more public conversation about research, diagnosis, um, the like personal experience of the condition that kind of thing yeah and I think that's awesome since that's also definitely like what I'm obsessed with is it just you realize like once you start talking to people about something that you're that's happening with your body that you thought that like no one would understand or relate to or whatever and you're like oh no for some reason we think that we can't talk about these things because they're embarrassing or they're yeah stigmatized and shameful and all of this stuff and yeah like I like what you're saying I've just it's not different than having some other condition. It's just something that we've been like told never to talk about. And so that's how you end up managing it in isolation. And that's obviously not helping anybody. It's definitely not helping anybody. Right, right. And it's not helping doctors be better. Like, frankly, on, on the flip side of it, that like if doctors don't, don't realize, say, like if your PCP, if no one's telling their PCP about it, then PCPs aren't going to know how to handle it when someone finally does. And if you show up and you underplay it to the doctor, because it's like embarrassing to talk about, I don't mean that as a critique of patients. I just mean like, that's what I would do. That's what I have done trying to talk about sexual stuff. It's like when we don't realize that it might be part of something bigger, we're going to show up and be really timid about it. And then that doctor's not going to take it seriously. And it's going to like cascade into this whole cultural thing where there's secrets going on. I think it's awesome to try to like bust through that a little bit. It's exciting. Yeah. 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 Well, is there anything else that we haven't covered in talking through kind of your own experience and what you've learned along the way and people that you've talked to that's on your mind or that you've thought of while we've been talking? I don't think so. I think we covered, I think we covered most, most of the topic. (laughs) That's great. That's usually the answer, but I like to check in when we're winding down. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. I'm excited to share this. Thank you. I'm so excited. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for listening to episode 51 of No End in Sight. You can learn more about Noah's podcast by heading to tightlippedpod.squarespace.com or by following them on Instagram at tightlippedpod. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at BenisB. And of course, you can find this show on Instagram at no.n.in.site.pod. As I keep saying, I've been posting each episode as a story, but I haven't posted to the main feed in a while because I'm so behind on transcripts. And you probably know that because I keep talking about it. 
But of course, the whole reason that I've started a Patreon account is to help with those transcripts. So I'll go ahead and plug that again. It's patreon.com slash no end insight. I'm in the middle of another round of interviews for the podcast. So if you've been thinking about sharing your story, then now is the time. Just head to noendinsight.co and click share your story. It still says I'm on hiatus, but that's actually a lie for another week, maybe two. Uh, So if you fill out the interest form, then I'll send you an email with booking details. Uh, On this show, I've talked to a lot of white cis women in their 20s and 30s who don't have kids. So I'd particularly love to talk to other people just who have other perspectives. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I've got some fun fall patterns in the shop, although I guess those are about to be out of season, um, and dozens of very simple icons that you can customize as much as you want. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.